0: If you're an accredited investor looking for an incredible opportunity to invest your money, I have exactly what you're looking for. I have put together a fund where we are loaning money to fix and flip investors for their investment properties. And I'm looking for investors right now. We provide steady income for our investors. We are focused on capital preservation. We have minimum target of returns that we plan on giving back to our investors. And this opportunity is incredible. Like I said, this fund is lending to the best of the best. And we're looking for people to come aboard and be investors and go along for the ride as this thing grows. I'm super excited about it. Right now, we're only talking to accredited investors. So if that's you and you want more information, reach out to me at Mike at mikeatjustartrealestate.com and I will get you all the information. Guys, this fund is amazing and we are so different from everybody else. And one of the biggest differences, we don't just lend money to anybody, anybody who comes along with an application doesn't get money from us, you have to have a track record, we have to know that your business is strong and healthy. And that's who we lend to, because our commitment to our investors is that we will protect their money, and we will give them consistent, reliable returns. Guys, if you're interested in this and you want to come along on that journey with me and my company, reach out to me now, Mike at juststartrealestate.com. I cannot wait to talk to you. Because sometimes you have to be scrappy. And if you need $10,000 to start your business and you have it and no one will give it to you, like use your $10,000, right? There's no better testimonial for your willingness to put everything on the line and and have skin in the game than actually having skin in the game. And a lot of investors down the road will like to know that you started with your own money. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. Welcome. If you're a return listener, I appreciate you coming back. Must mean you loved it the first time you couldn't get enough and came back to hear me. Thank you for that. I'm just kidding. If you've never been here before, thank you. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we can meet or exceed your expectations of what this program is going to be about. Today, I have another Q&A live sessions, a replay that I did a few weeks back right fresh off of a trip to Cancun, where I spent a week with some of the brightest and best real estate investors. Really got me thinking. I had some great questions in this uh, particular Q&A about using other people's money versus using your own capital when you're investing. Um, some questions about fear and how to overcome fear of investing in a new marketplace, right? Do remote investing, which is a lot of something a lot of people are doing. And uh, some reasons why businesses fail and how you can avoid that. So I'm excited to bring this one to you and i will not make you wait any longer i give you my latest version of the q a that happens every wednesday at 7 p.m on facebook live here we go all right guys i think i am live i think it worked i think we're good i think we're on time this time for a change which is great uh thank you for coming uh if you're here on now if you're watching this delayed if you're watching the replay thank you for watching the replay i'm excited to get in here and start uh And start diving into some of your questions. All right. And uh, I have gotten some questions sent to me. I always do. You guys are emailing me questions and sending them through DMs and stuff and through Facebook Messenger. So I appreciate that. I'm going to answer those questions. Uh, As you know, I go live on here uh, every single week. And last week was an exception because I was out of the country. I was actually at an event for the 7 Figure Flipping Mastermind. You guys know I'm a part of that. Most of you, at least, that are watching this have probably heard me talk about it. Uh, it is a, a mastermind of uh, real estate investors who we meet about once a quarter and we just share our business. We talk about wins and challenges and things that are going well for us and things that we're struggling with. And we get together and try to help each other solve problems collectively, which uh, is awesome. So uh, that's, what I, that's where I was at last Week, and that's why I couldn't be on here. Okay, so last week I was out of the country. Uh, don't feel bad for me. I was in Cancun and spending time with some of the brightest and best real estate investors from around the country. It was a lot of fun, had a ton of um, really great conversations. And, and I watched some people literally like grow as entrepreneurs and grow as real estate investors right in front of my eyes. It was a lot of fun talking to these folks, um, a lot of good friends who uh, were there, people I've gotten to know over the years. And it's just a, a great group of people. And uh, they're killing it. They're just, they're building businesses that that make a difference. And they're building businesses that are not only changing their lives, but changing other people's lives. So had a blast. If ever you want to know anything about the seven-figure flipping group or if you want to know about how you can get involved or just get more information, reach out to me at mike at mikeatjuststartrealestate.com and I will answer your questions or I will put you in touch with the person who can answer your questions for you. Uh, But if you are serious about growing your real estate investing company, your business in 2021, I really, truly uh, wholeheartedly believe that a mastermind and surrounding yourself with like-minded people who are not only kind of in the trenches with you, but also people who have... Uh, been where you are and moved beyond that and had success. Who can help you and kind of point out some of the pitfalls that you're going to encounter? Um, there's nothing else like it. I can treat uh, completely contribute or uh, 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 give all credit. I'm stumbling my own words. To so give all credit to the seven figure group that whole group of people that basically it's like a family to me at this point, but I I give all credit to them for, for my success over the last five years. I couldn't have done it without their support. I couldn't have done it without having that knowledge around me. So anyways, super, super awesome. And I encourage you guys to join a mastermind and seven figure flipping is probably the one I would do if I were you. Okay, guys, let's dive into some of these questions and as people start filing in, uh, I can see uh, people's questions that are coming in. I've got some here that were sent to me, but I'm going to try to answer some of them as I see them in the comments if I can first. Uh, Okay, Uh, let's see. So the first question that I got is, should I invest, and this is from Angela, should I invest my own capital or use other people's money when trying to launch a business? Um. So the real short answer is use whatever money is available. But the the longer answer and the one that I think you're looking for is if you don't have access to other people's money, if you just, if you have bad credit, if you just don't have any connections and you're, and you really want to get started now and you have the money, by all means, use your money. That That's okay. I am a firm believer though, long-term, right? Long-term thinking, thinking, putting the business person's hat on, not just like this super hungry Eager, excited new entrepreneur, right? Because sometimes you have to be scrappy. And if you need $10,000 to start your business and you have it and no one will give it to you, like use your $10,000, right? There's no better testimonial for your willingness to put everything on the line and, and have skin in the game than actually having skin in the game. And a lot of investors down the road will like to know that you started with your own money. So that's a story that, that I can tell my wife and I when we did our first flip. Uh, we did get uh, a mortgage for the actual purchase of the property, but the renovation cost, all of that was us. Like We spent our own personal money. We went all in. And but when I say all in, I mean like all of our savings plus credit cards, like, you know what I mean? Like we 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 leveraged credit basically to even be able to do it. And that may sound crazy to some people, may sound risky, may sound too, you know, too much, but that was the start that allowed me to grow and build the business into what it is today. And so when I look back, I can tell people that first deal I did, it was just us. Like we we got a loan. It was based off of our credit and our income at the time. We had W-2s and we used all of our own money and just went comp- like all the chips to the middle of the table. And so I'm a big fan of that. However, long-term, maybe after that first deal or after what your business gets launched and, and you're kind of up and running, I always think leveraging other people's money is the way that you grow and scale effectively it's it's difficult unless you're independently wealthy or you have a dad or a family member or mom or aunt uncle who are just super rich and they're willing to just fund whatever you need like that that's a different story right that's a completely unique situation that most of us aren't in so if you're like most of us you don't have the money to just forever scale and grow a business necessarily and so I'm a big fan of using other people's money. So in real estate we call it private money um, or hard money potentially depending on what your situation is. And the difference is hard money is a little bit more institutional. there's a little bit more um, of an of a like a company behind that. like there's a company that's got underwriting and you know they have you know different departments that you have to kind of wade through. but the the advantage of hard money in real estate is you don't have to wait. 45, 60, 90 days to get approved and get your loan. Like they they move fast that usually you can close within a few weeks and they usually don't care about your credit, your personal credit. They only look at the strength of the deal. And I think we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, So that's one way. And then the other way is private money. And private money is typically an individual, uh, a person who just has a high net worth. They have money and they want to lend it out for real estate and you can borrow from them. The great thing about that is that can be ultra flexible. It can be very, very fast. It can sometimes be turned around within 24, 48 hours, um, depending on the person and your relationship with them. Um, But also the terms can be whatever you want. Right. So, whereas a hard money lender typically they're going to be, you know, in the 12 to 15 percent uh, that they're going to want return on their money. Uh, and, and some of those hard money lenders will advertise eight or nine percent. But if you look at all their fees and kind of add those in, then they're all pretty much in that 12 to 15 range. Um, but a, a private money lender, it's whatever you negotiate with them. And depending on how uh, savvy they are as far as their background and what they invest in normally and I shouldn't say savvy that's not really the right word depending on their investing history they may be happy with more than happy with uh, a much lower interest rate than a hard money lender would ask for because a lot of these uh, private investors have you know they have investments that they're, that a stock market or a triple net lease investment or something where they might only be making, Three, four, five percent maybe, maybe a little more, maybe 6%, 7% if they're doing really well in the stock market. Um, but you can negotiate, you know, an interest uh, rate with them of, you know, five, six, seven, eight 8%. And it can be a lot more effective than hard money or going out and, and doing something else, right? Partnering with someone, that's another way you can do it. If you don't have your own money and you don't have private money, and for whatever reason, a hard money lender is not an option, which it should be. But if it's not, you can partner with somebody who has money and you can kind of JV. You can split the deal or, or partner with someone and bring them in as a money partner, a silent partner in your business. That's another way to do it, right? But to the answer to the question, use your own money or other people's money. Use your own if you have to, or use your own until you have the ability to borrow money from somebody else. And I always think that's a better way to go. Leverage other people's money. You can scale a lot faster, a lot more effectively. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, boom, here we go. What do you think? Okay, so Michael's asking, What do you think is the number one reason that folks fail when they're starting a business? Um, you know, it's not going to be what you think. I-, I think there's a lot of technical things that they do wrong. I gave a presentation a few years ago where I said most businesses fail because they don't know their numbers, they, they just don't understand their operating costs, they don't understand um, their spread, their, uh, their PL their balance sheets they they can't they can't look at those financials and make sense of it and um, also just as bad as a PL is they don't understand which marketing channels are working for them and so they end up trying to run a business by just opening up their bank account and go oh I have money in there I guess I'm doing fine when it's not obviously it's not a good way to run a business and they end up spending money on marketing and on people who are not producing for them And they don't know it because they're not tracking numbers. They're not holding anybody or anything accountable to what the actual results of all of their efforts are, efforts and and money, right? So if you spend money on, on mailings or you spend money on PPC or Facebook ads or whatever it is, right? If you're not tracking how much money you're spending and how many leads that's bringing to your company and how many leads, how many of those leads turn into actual clients in one form or another, if you don't have some of those basic metrics, figured out that's why a lot of people fail okay so what i said though was it, the real answer is not the answer that you think or the answer that you want but here's here's the real reason why i think most people fail it's because they don't they don't really believe that they can do it like they don't have confidence in themselves they don't have a game plan for what they're trying to do and they just go out there and sort of wing it and they're trying to build this business and run it but they're, they feel like a fraud, which you know. People say, "Fake it till you make it." And that's totally fine. I get that, but you can't fake it forever, and you may never make it if you constantly feel constantly feel like you're faking it. So, at some point, you have to get the mental like resolve. You have to have belief in yourself. That you actually can do what you're telling everyone that you can do, your friends, your family, the investors, whatever it is, whoever it is that you're trying to convince, maybe it's just yourself. You have to believe it. And so I've talked to folks who are trying to build a business, they're trying to start a business, and um, you know they they come to me and they don't really believe it, and but they want to do it, and and like they haven't really come up with a game plan. They don't really know how they're going to do it, and so. I've given people like that, like I've given them the tools to get started in their business with what I know works, like proven strategies for, for growing and starting and growing their business. And, and sometimes people take those tools and they they just, they're off and running and they build a great business and, and they do really, really well. And I've seen numerous examples of that. And then other people get those same kind of uh, tools, same advice, and, and they don't do anything. And it's because they never really needed those tools as badly as they needed to believe that they could do it. They needed someone who could lay out a game plan, but then not just lay out the game plan, but really explain to them and make them believe that it's doable. Like, like really put that belief in them so that they have it. And then they can have that belief when they're talking to other people. And, and so honestly, it's mostly what happens up here in, in this, you know, in our, our, um, our trip to Cancun with, with the investors, um, over a hundred companies were there. Uh, highly successful investors. Everyone that I talked to agreed unanimously. The number one problem that people have in their business is is their mindset. It's the way that they the way they view themselves. the the stories that they tell themselves, because most of us tell ourselves stories that just simply aren't true. They're just, you know, we're just unkind to ourselves about what we're able to do and what we can accomplish. And so we end up being kind of self-defeating because we've heard messages that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, that's for other people. We hear those messages growing up. and, And so that's what we take with us into adulthood. And that's what stops us. More than the ability or the access to tools or the access to answers to the questions that we have, uh, it's just the way we view ourselves, And so that's, that's the biggest reason why people fail when they start a business. Um, all right. So my video went out here on Facebook. Hopefully everyone can still see me. If you can still see me and you're in the chat, like just say, yes, I see you because I'm not seeing myself. So hopefully that doesn't mean that no one is seeing me. Um, and on that note, I'm assuming people can still see me. I'm going to say the next question is, uh, uh, Michael asks, how long until, let's see, how long, until after the first investment you made started making money back. So how long did I start making money after my first investment and how did I start making that money back? So for me, as a real estate investor, thank you. I got a message here that uh, we're good to go. Okay. Um, so for me, uh, that first investment, I told you, we we got a mortgage. We went all in on our, on our own personal money and we flipped the house. So, you know, for me, it took like, I think, from start to finish, it was like four months, three or four months that it took me to go from uh, starting out and, and kind of using that my own money for an investment for my first deal and making money. And then after that, guys, just to go back to the the last question about capital. So after that first deal, I leveraged other people's money, either hard money or private money from that point forward. And from that point forward, I never once ever, ever had to invest my own money in a deal and still haven't, still haven't had to Um so that's the power of leveraging other people's money. Like I'm, you know, what's the return on my money? It's like infinite because I'm not spending any money. I'm making money without spending any of my money. Um, but it took me about three months. Now, is that the same for everybody? No. Some people go about it a little differently. Back then, I didn't know about marketing. I, I wasn't marketing. I was going to find deals. I was going straight to the MLS. So for me, I didn't have to spend marketing money. So. There was no like money going out that I was hoping would be returned. I was buying houses and renovating them. It's it's a it's about as sure a deal as you can get when when you know what you're doing. But then about five years later, I started doing marketing, right? So then I started putting out thousands of dollars a month to try to find motivated sellers and find people who were interested in selling their house to me at a discount for whatever reason. Um, and so, but by then I already had a machine. I knew what I was doing, and and it was it was a little bit more of a educated guess when I was putting marketing out, you know, but I was tracking numbers too. So back to the original, like why do some businesses fail? Well, it's mindset, but it's also, they're not tracking numbers. So I tracked my numbers. I knew which marketing channels worked and which ones didn't. And that's key. You have to know if you're going to spend money on any investment, I don't care if it's marketing, if it's buying a franchise, if it's investing in the stock market, whatever it is, there's no guarantees and everything's a risk, but you can take strategic risk, right? I talk about this all the time. What's strategic risk? Well, strategic risk is like a dumb risk is like, Hey, I see water below me. I'm on a cliff. I don't know how deep it is. I'm just going to jump anyways. That's stupid. Right. But go down there and check the depth of the water. Okay, good. We're we're good. I can jump and I'm reasonably, I should not be cracking my head open on the bottom because I looked at how deep it was. Right. It's a silly example, but strategic risk is, is really an educated risk. And it's another way of saying it. Like Understand what you're investing in, understand what it is you're doing. Um, surround yourself with people who have done it and who you can collaborate with and ask questions and talk to and, and get answers from. Like then take the risk. And and that's sort of what I did. I I, I joined a smaller, like local mastermind that was okay. And it kind of got me from A to B, but it it ultimately wasn't the place for me to actually grow and flourish because there just wasn't enough people in that group that had done a lot more than I had at that point. So, but it was a little bit of education. And so the first deal I did, it was fairly educated risk. And then from that point forward, every deal that I did, I became more educated. So every decision I made was using the data of all of the decisions I had made prior. And then once I joined Seven Figure Flipping Mastermind, it was like I had all of the data that I had gathered personally from all the deals I had done prior, plus the collective experience of everybody in the group. And so every decision I made, every investment I made became that much more safe and secure because I wasn't just taking crazy chances. Um, I'm all about taking chances. Financial risk doesn't scare me, but I'm pretty good about positioning myself and taking risks that I know have a decent probability of success, right? So it's a little bit hedging my bet. I get it. Um, I don't just throw money into the wind and hope it comes back more. You know that's that's not smart in my opinion. But anything you do, you should try to educate yourself to a point. But overeducation is another problem that we can talk about if if everybody wants to talk about that. But paralysis analysis basically is is what I suffered from for quite some time. Okay, uh, another question here. How long till? I, okay, got that. Um, okay, Angela then asks, how do you overcome your fear of investing in a new market or space? it kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, right? Strategic risk, like take strategic risk. Think of it almost like, like a military operation, right? You're in a war and everything you do is risk. When you have to go into a new, a new area, right? A new, a new place. It's risky, but you do recon, you figure it out, you find out what's happening. You see where the potential failure failure points are before you go in. And then when you go in, still a risk, something can happen, but you you took the steps necessary to understand what was happening in that market. So in real estate, you know, if I'm gonna go into real estate um, market, a different market, and let's just say I wanna flip houses, I'm gonna do the analysis to find out, first of all, how many households are in that market? Like how many households am I even, like how many households are in my target market that I have potentially uh, the ability to talk to? And then the next thing would be how many houses were sold last year? And what was the time on market? And what's the average sale price? And how often did a house sell for less than what it was being marketed for? Right. So that was there was those would be houses at a discount. Or how often did houses sell undervalued, which would be a better metric for me in my business? Um, so are there a lot of houses that sell below market value? That's a good opportunity for me because I know that there are houses and, and sellers who are willing to sell below market value. In the market that we're in now. It's tough, you know. You better do a lot of a lot of research before you go diving into a market that you don't know. But I really want to know what is the pool of of buyer or what the pool of sellers? How big is that pool? How many of them are selling at discounts? And what's the whole time like? Time on market? Like I want to know that. How hot is the market? I want to know that when I find a deal and I renovate it and I put it back on the market, it's going to go like that and it's going to go for top dollar, right? So you want a healthy. Um, really kind of a, a real healthy market. You want to go to someplace where, where houses are selling. That's that's huge. Um, as, as a wholesaler, which is what my company is primarily, we do wholesaling, um, I want to know if there's a lot of investors in that area, so I'm going to do recon. I'm going to I'm going to talk to the RIAs. I'm going to get on you know websites and I'm going to you know join a, a mastermind like seven figure flipping. I'm going to talk to the members who are in that area and say, what's that market like? Are there a lot of house flippers? Because I need there to be a lot of house flippers if I'm going in there as a wholesaler, because I'm going to go in and find deals like crazy, and I'm going to present these deals to house flippers. And I want to make sure there's enough of clients, house flippers, clients for me and landlords for that matter that are hungry and looking, looking for deals. And believe me, if you're a wholesaler right now and you have a really good process and a good machine built to find deals and you go into a market that's hot, like most markets are now, um, everyone's looking for a deal. Like it's a really great time to be a wholesaler if you're finding deals, but it's hard for wholesalers to find deals just like anybody else, right? But we're, wholesalers are typically built for that. That's what they do. They're marketing and sales machines. And so if you have that machine built, if you have that process down and you have a way of finding sellers that want to sell at a discount for whatever reason, and they do in this market, by the way, if you're, if you're saying no one's selling at a discount, you're dead wrong. There are deals out there and there are people selling at a discount. All the reasons why people sell at a discount, or I should say most of the reasons why people sell at a discount, um, three years ago, two years ago, those reasons still exist, right? Deferred maintenance, death, divorce, job loss, your job moves, downsizing, um, there's a lot of reasons, you know, you're behind on taxes or whatever. There's a lot of these are all reasons why people sell their house at a discount. It it all happens still, even in a pandemic. These, these things happen, right? And there's some forbearance and, and certain things that are happening that are that are making the dynamic slightly different. But take it from a guy who buys and sells all the time. I, there are still deals out there, a lot of them. I was just in Cancun with, you know, over a hundred businesses. And by the way, this was the first time I've ever been in a group like this of people. And some of them were newer. Who the number one when the number one problem wasn't finding deals. That wasn't the number one problem. That wasn't even the number five problem. That wasn't a problem. Here's what I heard. We are getting so many deals that we're overwhelmed. We don't have the personnel to answer the phones, to respond, to go on appointments. Like we need to build a better process on our back end because the amount of leads that we're getting is too much. And we have to turn off our marketing to handle the, the volume of leads that we're getting. Like that, that was the biggest challenge that I heard last week. So deals are never the problem, but you still need to do market analysis. You still need to find out what's happening in those markets. And if you want more help with that, um, you know, frankly, join the mastermind. Cause we talk about it all the time, but I can help you with it. You can shoot me an email. I can help you with that. Okay. Like I said, can you expand on what you mean by over-education? Yeah. So I teased it, right? I kind of want to talk about it because I think this is a big problem. I really do believe this, this keeps more people on the starting blocks than any other problem at all when it comes to any business, doesn't matter, real estate, anything. And it's paralysis analysis. I decided that I wanted to be a real estate investor in 2003. That's when I put my stake in the ground and said, I want to be a real estate investor. This is what I want to do. I want to build this big real estate company. I want to quit my job. It's going to be great. I was just so psyched, 2003. 2008 is when I bought my first house. So what did I do between 2003 and 2008? sat on the sidelines, read books, um, podcasts weren't really a thing, but I did like get on websites and blogs and I read success stories. And I went to seminars, uh, of people who were trying to, you know, give me just a little teeny bit of information. So I would buy their book or their course. Like I just floundered. I, and, and it was paralysis analysis and I had some stuff going on in my personal life. You know, there was, there was some stuff going on there, but Everybody's got stuff going on in their personal life so that's not really an excuse the bottom line was I was afraid I was afraid of taking the risk and I've said it I've said it tonight I said it two weeks ago and I say it all the time it wasn't financial risk for me that stops a lot of people losing money stops people from taking risks I get that and I understand why there's I have a screw loose that doesn't scare me financial risk doesn't scare me but uh, reputation risk that scares me I I, I do get afraid of making mistakes and failing and looking like a failure and looking stupid and telling people I'm going to do this thing. And then you fall on your face. I don't want that to happen. So that kept me on the sidelines, kept me quiet. And by the way, I didn't tell anybody that I want to be a real estate investor. Nobody knew it was me. I didn't tell anybody. So when I didn't do it for five years, the reason why five whole years could go by is nobody was calling me out. There was nobody uh, holding me accountable for that. I was just new in my head. I had this dream. I didn't tell anybody. I was afraid. I was I was procrastinating and making excuses for not starting. But not one person could say, Hey man, what's going on with that? Why aren't you doing it? What's your problem? Like, come on, do it. You can do it. Like, nobody, because I didn't tell anybody. So that's the recipe for not getting started is keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. Read read every book on earth. Listen to every podcast on earth. And don't do anything. Like, just keep learning and keep telling yourself that you don't know enough. Right. Strategic risk does not imply over-education or spend 10 years becoming educated about something, like forget it. Learn just enough and get started. I told you the first deal I did, I was in a local mastermind. Like A lot of people didn't know what they were doing, but I took the chance. I took the risk and I got from A to B. I did my first deal. And after I did the first deal, the amount of things that I learned during that first deal, like the education I got just by doing it was 10 times more than I'd learned in the last five years. And then after I did another couple of deals, like exponentially more learning more education I was smarter about it and it just gets so much easier once you start doing it it's hard to learn anything like this like running a business or you know like you can't learn to swim by reading a book about swimming right you have to get in the water you have to you can only get so far by reading books because I'm going to read one more book because I really want to understand what I'm doing before I get in the water like there's a point of diminishing returns and I hit it probably six months into my five years. Like that was a point of diminishing returns. I was ready to go. I just didn't think I was ready and I was afraid. So that's, that's what I mean by that analysis paralysis. Um, so having that accountability, I got another question here. Um, I'm afraid to hire people in my business. How do I know when is the right time to hire? So it's a good question and this kind of goes a little bit like i just sort of referenced it when i said when well, i was in uh cancun with these folks seven figure one of the questions or one of the big challenges was i'm getting so many leads like what do i do I, i'm you know i have leads in my database that i haven't touched in weeks and some of them were months and there was a high volume of deals that are leads i should say not deals leads that they just weren't getting to so in your business no matter what kind of business it is usually they say you know the joke is when you think you're ready to hire it's probably you know late like you you should have hired a long time ago like once you get to the point where you like you you are like sure that you should hire you should have hired a long time ago so the best time to hire is anytime that you see any kind of a bottleneck in your business no matter what it is it could just be administrative it could be just you know filling out spreadsheets and things like that's my achilles heel if you tell me that you want me to work for you and my job is to maintain a bunch of spreadsheets and, and make sure all the numbers are being plugged in. Like I'll fail, I'll fail before lunch. I'll probably quit before lunch. Cause that's not what I do well. So I had to know in my business, the, one of the first people I hired, I think the first person I hired was someone who could handle the details. And in real estate, there's a lot of paperwork, there's title companies and lawyers and people who are sending you documents to check. And, you know, you have to send them documents and all these things that had to be organized. Um, when I first started, my wife did that when we were, when we were partners in the business. She had all that because I'm not good at details. But once my business grew and she stepped out of the business, I, I had to hire someone who could handle the details for me because I'm not good at that. So the right time to hire is the minute you stop doing something because you don't like it. Oh, by the way, another thing I heard last week from an, an investor was I avoid answering the phone when my marketing... Uh, starts working and people are calling me and they want to talk to me about selling their house. I I don't, answer, I don't always answer the phone because I'm not, I don't like sales. Like I, don't, I don't love talking to people. I'm not good at it, so I kind of avoid it. I don't answer the phone. It's like that's a good time to start hiring someone because you need to answer the phone. When marketing happens and, and it starts producing for you, not answering the phone is like the worst thing you can do. So when you see something in your business that's not getting done, you're procrastinating hire. If you see a bottleneck, you may like it and you're working as hard as you can but you can't quite get things done in time, that's a bottleneck. You need to you need to think about bringing someone onto your team or, you know, if there's no bottleneck and you're not procrastinating, if it's a job that you really really hate doing, like you dread it, it makes your life miserable and you hate it every time you have to do it, that's a that's a good person to start with too, right? You need you need some revenue coming in. It's hard to hire it's hard to hire people before you even get started, but once you get started and start generating revenue. There are creative ways to hire people. There are VAs, right? If you don't know about that, like the four-hour work week, Tim Ferriss made that very popular and famous going and hiring VAs from... Uh, if you're in the United States, hiring from outside the United States, it can be very cost-effective and they can get a lot done. And if you're not a detailed person, a lot of times VAs can take work off your plate that you absolutely hate anyway. So um, I think the right time to hire is when if sales start suffering, because things aren't getting done when there's bottlenecks, or when you're procrastinating or avoiding work in your company that you hate, you need to bring someone in to do that. Um, hiring people and people in general are probably the number one way that businesses scale and stay become and stay successful. It's the people. It's the people that they bring in. It's not necessarily the process or the system. It's the people that they bring in. So that being said, people can make or break your business. You bring in the wrong people, wrong culture fit, wrong value fit, it can crush you. You bring in people who are the right value fit, the right culture fit, and they're really good at what they do, your business can go 10 times farther than it could ever go with just you. So um, so that's the answer to that. Hopefully I answered it. Let's see. Having someone hold you accountable. Mike, can you talk about... Uh, Can you talk about your book you see in the background? Oh, you do? Oh yeah, it is there, right there, right there. Right there, boom. Yeah, it's called, thank you, by the way. It's called Level Jumping. Uh, What it is, is, so I started in 2008, right? That's when I bought my first house. Uh, In 2015, my business went from doing a deal or two on a good month uh, to doing over 10, 12 deals a month, every single month. And it happened- all within a year, so at the end of two thousand and fifteen, if you look at a graph of my business it's sort of like kind of going up sort of sort of leveling off like sort of modest and then toward the end of two thousand and fifteen going into two thousand sixteen it sort of goes up like a hockey stick right and so I have given presentations i've spoken at events about how to scale your business and when I when I give these um, when I give these talks I always kind of reference back to that when I really kind of turned the corner, when the light bulb went off for me. And I went from doing just like a deal or two to over 10, 12 deals. And I did over a million dollars in gross profits that one year, just in that one year. And in the year before that, I think I had only done like 150,000 in profits or something. So I basically you know, almost 10X my business in one year. And, and so people, obviously you give that kind of a talk and then people come up to you after like, how did you do it? Like, and I tell them how I do it in the talk, but they they want more details. Like exactly. Like, give me, give me a little bit more. Like how exactly did you do it? And so I was asked this question often enough. And I knew that the answers that I gave for that question um, sort of transcended real estate. It wasn't about real estate. The reason I was successful in real estate, by the way, has nothing, nothing to do with real estate specific uh, skill set or real estate specific tactics and strategies nothing it's business it's a business question how do you grow and scale a business profitably It's a total business question so I wrote a business book now the anecdotes and the stories that I tell and some of the examples are real estate related because that's where I that's the business that I grew that's the experience and background that I have but really none of it has anything to do with a real estate specific solution. It's a business solution. And so I talked about the things that that helped me grow my business. And, and I'll, I'll name a few of them. Like I'm not going to go through the whole book, but essentially there were there were th- there was a bunch of stuff, but there were three big things that stand out to me. And I've talked about one of them: systems and processes. I, I had no systems and processes back in before 2015. I was sort of reinventing the wheel every time anything happened in my company. So systems and processes. We talked about people. I just said, people are the number one thing that help you grow and scale your business effectively and make you a great business. So people were another thing. And then uh, I guess I talk about it a lot because I mentioned at the beginning of this, of this uh, Q&A is um, knowing your numbers. I didn't know my numbers before that. I wasn't tracking numbers effectively. So I spent probably you know five or six years uh, running my business without really tracking numbers very well. So the reason why I was trouble, I was having trouble scaling is I was wasting money. I was wasting time. I was doing things that weren't bringing me a, a good ROI. And so I was working hard and I got to a point point I just couldn't grow anymore. I, I did, had no idea what I was doing wrong. I could not grow, could not figure it out. And a lot of it was I needed to hire. I was trying to do everything myself. And there's a limit no matter how effective you are and how efficient. There's a limit to what you can do. And um had no systems and I wasn't tracking my numbers, So it was going to be impossible for me to grow unless I got those answers. And I got those answers by surrounding myself with successful people and talking to people who were much more successful than me, who grew businesses that I wanted. And I asked them, what what did you do? What what moved the needle for you? Why were you able to get from where I am to where you are? Uh, And I always tell people like, if you, the, the power of a mastermind, the power of mentors, the power of asking people who have come before you and have blazed this trail and they know what they're doing is you can use their hindsight as your foresight. So they always say hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So if you could use my hindsight, for example, by, by using the book, right? If you can use my hindsight as your foresight Imagine how powerful that is. And that's exactly what I did. And that's how I that's how I grew my business. That's exactly how I grew my business. And by the way, it's how I continue to grow my business. I don't try to figure things out that I have access to the answers, the definitive answers from people that I know, know what they're talking about. They've done it. I can see it. I can see their business. I know what they've done. I go to them. I never try to figure it out anymore. There's no. There's no reason to. The the answers are out there. People have figured out whatever you're trying to figure out. More than likely, somebody's already figured it out. You need to find that person. Sit down with them. Talk to them. Buy them a coffee. Um, surround yourself with the right people, and and magic can happen. So, all right. Um, cool. Yes. And there's a link there uh, where you can go and and uh, check out Level Jumping if you want to, my book. Um, what's your favorite? App. Okay, Angela's asking, what's your favorite app or tool you are using currently that helps you with productivity? Okay, so there's a couple. And, and productivity is something that I actually think a lot about. And it's because I have struggled in my life to be productive. I'm a, I'm a natural-born, super-skilled procrastinator. and uh, And so I look for tools that help keep me going and keep me productive. So one of the things, this is super old school. So if you're under the age of 40, you can just sign up. No, I'm just kidding. So one of the things I do is I use a whiteboard. I like whiteboards. I like writing on whiteboards. I like I like the tactileness of writing on a whiteboard. My whiteboard is right here and my door is right there to the office. So I have to pass, I have to stand up and physically my eyes have to pass by my whiteboard before I can leave the room. And so for me, I put things that I absolutely cannot forget that day on the whiteboard, and so that that's what's up there right now. Um, I've got notarized some docs. I've got some automatic payments that I have to set up for some for some loans that I've got, um, and just some like quotes and things that I want to I want to be kind of you know aware of during the day. So I use a whiteboard. Uh, I my my like daily plans, like what I have to do and when, is all Google Calendar. Like I I. Use Google Calendar religiously. Um, I probably look at Google Calendar 50 times a day so that I can know where I'm supposed to be and when. And I don't have 50 appointments; it's just I can't remember. So it's in Google Calendar. And then, you know, finally, I have tried journaling. I've tried having, um, you know, different apps—Evernote uh, and Slack—and all these, all these apps that people use for productivity. And none of them work for me. And none of them work for me because they're not addressing my problem. And my problem is, I have all these projects that I'm working on, various projects, right? I have different companies and different obligations and different people I'm working with. And so I have all these projects that I have to do over the next quarter, you know, two, one to three months. And all of those projects have like sub components or steps they have to take. That I have to take to, to get the project done. And so I I might have at any given time 30 small projects that I have to get completed in order to complete maybe three big projects, right? So big, big things that I want to get done are broken down into like three to five small things that will allow me to get it done. And so what happens is I've got these 30 things that I have to do, right? None of them have to be done necessarily on a specific day. It's just all these to-dos that add up to these big things that I want to get accomplished. And so what I've done, and so the problem that I have that these other apps don't address properly for me is I need if I have 30 things that have to get done and I kind of have timelines for them, like what's the most important thing and what's going to really move the needle and what's just like a fire that I have to put out, but it's not really long-term going to help me in any way. I want something that will organize all of those to-dos in a way that I like. I'll want to be able to weight them. I want to be able to rate all of my to-dos and have something categorize them and rate them from this is the first one you should do and this is the last one you should do. And then I want something that will prompt me throughout the day. Hey, you have these three things you're supposed to get done. You need to get them done. You haven't gotten them done yet. Right. But all of my tasks, instead of me looking, cause here's what I do. Probably a lot of you do this too. I'll look at my whiteboard or I'll look at a, at a, at a piece of paper or a spreadsheet or whatever. And I'll say, here's 30 tasks. And I'll start looking for the ones that I want to do, that I like to do, right? That it's something that I find enjoyable or I'm good at or whatever. And that's how I'll, I'll prioritize them in order of what I want to do. And I think a lot of us do this as entrepreneurs. And so the stuff I don't like doing, or I'm not good at, or I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do, or I just feel a little bit more uncomfortable with it, it goes at the end. And that's the last thing I do. But that way of structuring your day and that way of prioritizing tasks has nothing to do with timelines or what's important or who's counting on you. It's all based on what I like. And that's an absurd way to go about like getting things done. You can't always do what you like to do first. And so I wanted something that would allow me to input all of my tasks, give them weights or, or give them a level of urgency. How urgent, how important is it? When is it due? Like if there's a due date, like when is it due? Um, And I wanted that software or that app to then rank all of my tasks and put them in order, put them in a calendar for me and, and, and do it in order of when they really need to get done. So if something has to get done in a week and it's going to take six hours, I should do that before something that doesn't have to get done for three months and it'll take 15 minutes, right? It just, that isn't as important as the, as, the, as the long, big project that's due soon. So I wanted an app that could categorize, rank everything for me, and then prompt me to get it done every single day because I'm a, I, I'm, I have entrepreneurial ADD or maybe I just have ADD, I don't know. But I can't keep track of everything that I have to do. So I need something that will constantly be pulling at my shirt and saying, hey, hey, did you do that? And so all of this, long story short, I have developed an app that is still in beta. Uh, It's not available to the general public yet, Um, but it's close. It's going to be available probably sometime next month for people to actually use. Um, So if you're interested in that, if that app, if that, application if the if the issues that i'm having sound like anything at all like what you, what you have to deal with and maybe evernote and slack and all these things are just and the other things they had they had almost more features than i wanted like i needed something that had a had a specific purpose and i just didn't need all the other stuff right so um I've created this app. So if you want to know more about it, uh, you can shoot me an email at Mike at just You can DM me on Facebook if you want, if that's easier for you. Uh, but you can go to mike at just send me an email and I will put you on. I don't have a list yet, but I'll put you in some kind of list. So when I when this is available, I can shoot you a message and you can download it. So um yeah, anyways, that'll be available. Thanks for asking. I wasn't planning on talking about that, but it's that's fine, it makes sense. Um cool. That is so true, Angela. Good. Okay. Uh, I'm looking, I don't know if I missed anybody's questions. I don't think I did. I think we're good. I've answered the questions that were sent to me. I've answered the ones in the chat here. Um, so I think I'm going to call it for today. We're about 40, almost 45 minutes in, uh, again, guys, I do this every single week and, I, uh, I do it every week at seven o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday. So you can tune in right here where you're watching it uh, right now. And I'll, I'll be here every every Wednesday at seven o'clock answering your questions. If you have questions that you want me to answer on here, you can do that. You can send the question to Mike at juststartrealestate.com. Or you can send me a DM on, on Facebook or a message on Facebook. You can DM me on Instagram, whatever, wherever you want to find me, you can do that. Uh, and I will... I will answer the question here on Wednesday or you can just tune in and you can ask questions That's how we do it too. So every Wednesday, seven o'clock Eastern time. So that is what four o'clock Pacific. And I will be here next week, guys. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. this was a lot of fun. I love doing that. Adam loved the whiteboard. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. I was feeling old because of the whiteboard, but I need it. All right, man, we'll see you guys next week. uh, Seven o'clock Eastern time. Can't wait to talk to you. Send me your, your questions and I'll see you then. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.